Hello, everyone, and welcome to BrainX Talks. BrainX Talks is an attempt to engage in conversations with leading figures and their work at the crossroads of machine learning and healthcare. I'm Ashish Khanna, your host, and I am a associate professor and vice chair for research, along with the director for perioperative outcomes and informatics at the Department of Anesthesiology in Critical Care Medicine at the Wake Forest University School of Medicine here in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I'm an intensivist and anesthesiologist, but I also spend a lot of my time doing research, education, and all things perioperative and critical care outcomes. I am one of the founding members of the BrainX community, and today I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Michael Pfeffer all the way from Stanford. Welcome, Michael. Thanks, Ashish. It's it's really a pleasure to be here. It is an absolute pleasure to have you, Michael. And I will tell you that, you know, um, um, for our listeners, uh, Michael and I first met in Singapore about uh, three months ago at an Asia-Pacific uh, Critical Care Congress. Uh, we were on the same panel and, um, you know, there was perfect alignment of our uh, thoughts and ideas. Uh, I was coming at it more from the clinician scientist perspective, and Michael was coming at it more from the CMIO's perspective. And, um, you know, I had already mentally recruited him to be a part of the podcast. So I am so excited, Michael, that you have given us time today. Thank you. Yeah, it's, um, it's really fun to be able to meet, you know, really incredible people uh, literally across the world <laughs> and uh, debate which chicken rice dish is the best in Singapore. Yes, I remember the chicken rice and I actually went and had the chicken rice. That's right. And I'll go back there again for chicken rice. So thank you for the chicken rice. There you go. All right. For our listeners, here is um, the short and sweet around um, Michael, who currently serves as the Chief Information Officer and Associate Dean for Stanford Healthcare and the Stanford University School of Medicine, and oversees a whole lot of technology and digital solutions, um, and in a sense oversees uh, compassionate care across multiple hospitals and over 150 clinics. Academically, he is a clinical professor in the Department of Medicine and Division of Hospital Medicine and has joint appointment with the Center for Biomedical Research and does continue to provide clinical care as a hospitalist physician, as well as teaching medical students and residents on their inpatient wards. Uh, we'll talk to um, Michael and about his journey. And, and, you know, part of his journey is that he was before at UCLA Health Sciences, where he was Assistant Vice Chancellor and Chief Information Officer. And um, it's very interesting, as he describes it, he, during his time at UCLA, served lead physician for a big bang go live, encompassing 26,000 users for what looks like a largest electronic health record transition. And I'm going to ask him some questions around this because it sounds really interesting. And and then finally, last but not the least, several, several achievements, including uh, numerous industry awards, um, in, including awards by the HIMSS Analytics Group um, and uh, 
including certain designations such as the most wired designation for uh, eight consecutive years, U.S. News and World Reports, most connected hospitals, uh, top masters in healthcare administration, and the list goes on and on and on. Uh, Michael also implemented one of the first ACGME-accredited clinical informatics fellowship programs and served as its associate program directors. Um, I said I met Michael in Singapore, and, you know, yes, his bio suggests that he lectures worldwide, and I will attest to that. And then finally, he's been featured in uh, Becker's Hospital Review as 10 physician CIOs to know and 12 standout healthcare CIOs and uh, one of LA's top doctors. So, um, Michael, I, I know I haven't done justice to it. I have just uh, stumbled my way through it. But um, no, I'm me... thoroughly embarrassed. Thank you. <laughs> That's all right. I told um, you to keep it short. But, you know, yeah. like the, the, the main thing is that this is everything I do is because of an incredible team, whether mm-hmm. it's at UCLA or here at Stanford. It, it's 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 the team that does all of these things and really makes it all come together. And I'm really fortunate to have worked with and continue to work with just incredibly dedicated people whether they're teachers or technologists, faculty, uh, administrators, leaders, it's, it, it really does take an, you know, a village to get everything to work in healthcare. Yes, like with everything else in life, uh, it takes a village. So on that note, I'm going to sort of ask you, you know, obviously your bio sort of states your story, but uh, what is the real story? Um, I'm sure you were a, you know, a medical student someday and, and, and then, you know, you, you turned into who you are today. Um, can you inspire some of the medical students who are going to listen to this? How did you get here? Yeah, I think uh, it's about curiosity and um, not accepting the status quo. Mm-hmm. I'll start, I'll start with that. I, you know, I, I majored in chemical engineering in, in undergraduate um, times because I really loved that complexity and that the answers were never, um, you know, unique. There, there were always many ways you could come up with a solution to a problem. And I love that kind of thinking of, okay, let's identify what the problem is and then let's try to form a solution. And I thought what better place to kind of test that out than in medicine, which is the most complex uh, probably field you you could possibly think of. And so I I had the opportunity to go to medical school and um, did absolutely terrible uh, in the beginning because I, you know, went from us engineering where you could have every book you wanted open during a test, you could even like talk to other people because if you didn't understand the concepts really deeply, no, no book was going to help you solve it on a test to complete and utter memorization. Mm-hmm. And so right. I had to adjust my entire brain to like come back to memorizing things in order to do well in tests. And so, um, so that was a, a little bit of a transition, but then in third and fourth year, really the application of the knowledge and and really trying to, you know, solve lots of complex problems with solutions that not only hopefully improve the health of patients, but also aligns to their needs, wishes, etc. 
you know, makes the solution set again, very unique and very complicated. So I really loved that. And it, and I thought what better specialty to continue that than internal medicine. Um, and so I made my way over to UCLA for internal medicine residency there and started to really fall in love with administration and became a uh, chief resident and thought I would go into, uh, you know, medical education for my career. And I did, I actually started as an associate program director in internal medicine residency program, which I love, but saw such an opportunity for technology. And again, bringing engineering roots back, there was a tremendous problem that needed to be solved at UCLA. And that was, we were using paper to do just about everything. And healthcare had become so complex and so multidisciplinary uh, that that just wasn't cutting it anymore. And I wanted to be part of the transformation of moving from kind of the analog world into, into the digital world. And that's how I, I got involved. I, I kept saying, you know, I want to, I want to do this. I want to, I want to help. I want to take us to the next level and um, a little persistence and a little bit of luck and being in the right place at the right time landed me in my career of informatics. Yeah, that's, um, you know, right place at the right time. Yeah, you, you nailed that. I mean, I think there is a little bit of that in, in all of our lives. Uh, but, but also, it looks like you mentioned this big bang go live on, on your um, uh, career uh, journey and, and bio. What is that all about? <laughs> So it's a funny story, actually. Um, you know, at the time when one would implement an electronic health record at an organization, the theory was you do phases and, you know, you bring up a few clinics and maybe you bring up a hospital and you bring up some more clinics and you, you go bit by bit and you bring people on in that, in that way. So it, it's, it, you know, it, it takes time, but you can focus on smaller parts of the organization to get everybody live. About three quarters of the way through the project, we realized that our old um, laboratory information system or LIS wouldn't actually be able to send lab data to the new EHR and the old kind of lab lookup system. It was one or the other. And so we had to make a decision. How are we going to do this? We, we couldn't have a situation where half the organization or three quarters of the organization couldn't see updated lab results. That wasn't going to work. Mm -hmm. And so we made a decision to say, all right, we have no choice. We're going to go, we're going to put everybody live on the HR in one day. And that's what we did. Wow. Uh, and uh, it hadn't been done before at that scale. Uh, and actually that then changed the model uh, of EHR go lives to really now do more big bang uh, go lives rather than small phases over many years. So, uh, so I was going to just uh, ask you. So what year was this again? Twenty thirteen. And and so essentially, what you're telling me this this was uh, the first of its kind big bang go live, and other institutions have since followed sort of followed suit, and now this is standard um uh that we, we you know everyone should try and get to that big bang point but not many people dare to to go there is that 
uh, what we're saying? No, I, 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 well, so I think following UCLA, um, lots of organizations have since done Big Bang Go Lives and have been very uh -huh. successful. And I think it was just less about, you know, how, you know, unrealistic or difficult it is and more about a change in mindset. So it really, really was about change management, which is a lot of informatics is, right. is change management. As you, as you know, a lot of medicine is change management. Right. And so I think it just, it showed that we could do it. And I, again, this is just an absolutely incredible team at UCLA uh, that, that pulled this off and, 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 and a great collaboration with all of our faculty operations, everything to make that happen. Uh, it was it was pretty scary on on that March first, twenty thirteen. I still remember that very well. Um, but uh, it worked, and it allowed us to really actually get the value out of the EHR very quickly to the point where we were able to um, get him uh, stage seven uh, pretty much within the first nine to ten months of go live. So we were really really excited about that. Very cool. And and looks like, you know, along this journey, you've obviously seen technology evolve as well, you know, digital health tech, you know, there's there's been, a, a you know, just a plethora of smart technology that's come in, patches, wearables, bedside monitors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, in, in your current role, how do you see all of that sort of... Uh, fitting into our lives uh, you know the fact that we can wear a smartwatch but currently it doesn't look like we cannot transfer data from my smartwatch to my emr uh, do you see that happening and how quickly do you see that happening in the near future it's a great question you know going back to something i said a little earlier around problems and solutions there are so many solutions on the market Mm -hmm. in health IT that can, you know, claim they, that they could do anything. Like if you want a solution that will, um, you know, give you a haircut at home while you're on an EKG monitor, I'm sure something like that exists. Uh, so again, I, I just think it's about, find, you know, what problems do we want to solve in healthcare and then finding those solutions that will do it. And it could be uh, wearable. It could be some other uh, uh, digital health um, therapeutic, for example, uh, or it could be using what we currently have and tweaking or adding. So it all really depends on what the what the problem is, I think. And you know, we we've just scratched the surface. I mean, part of the problem is if you imagine that, let's say even five percent of the patients, say at Wake Forest, have smartwatches and start feeding all their data into your EHR. Like who's going to, who's going to manage that? Like, <laughs> how do you make sense of any of it? And, you know, I think we're starting to um, get to the point where technologies are becoming mature enough that we could do this at scale. It's easy to do it for one or two or three people. It's hard to do it at scale 24, seven, 365. And a lot of what I like to talk about when we're thinking about, technologies and healthcare is how do we make it simple, usable, and at scale? Because if you can't scale it, then it's just not going to work. And mm -hmm. ultimately, it will go away. So um, 
that's something I'm, I'm very passionate about, that it, it's really got to be done at scale and provide value. And defining what those metrics of value are up front enable you to really assess, is this, is this really creating value for our patients, for our providers? And if not, let's stop doing it because there's so many things we could be doing that we don't want to waste our time doing things that don't provide value. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. And the scalability factor is sometimes uh, something that, you know, the, the clinician scientists like me will, will forget and say, oh, we want all this data and we want this world where we could get every speck of data and do all these fancy analyses with it. But, you know, you're absolutely right. Thanks for keeping me real on that. And I, <laughs> well, you know, that me real too. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's pushing the envelope is really the key. And, 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 you know, I think we've gone, I think fairly successfully from the analog world to the digitized world. And what I mean by that is, yeah, we replicated most of the processes we did on paper in the electronic world, but we haven't actually gotten to the digital world where we're rethinking and transforming things with the technologies. And I, that's where we are today. So it's going to be clinician scientists like you that are going to get us from the digitized world to the digital world. And it's my job to work closely with you to make sure it's usable, fits into workflows and scale. So now comes the one part, Michael, I've been wanting to ask you because sure you get asked about it every day, which is our favorite chat GPT. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, what do you think? Are you a user? <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. It's, um, it, it, I love it because it, it really sparks the imagination. and. Um, I think, and, and let's go bigger than even ChatGPT, you know, there's large language models, there's many mm -hmm. of them, and then there's foundation models, which is the holy grail, so to speak. And um, actually, I think that name foundation model came from our uh, human-centered artificial intelligence uh, center here uh, called HI. It's, it's, it's an incredible center. Um, but... I mean, the potential, I think, is really unlimited. And I just see that really taking us from digitization to, to digital. Um, so, yeah, it's really exciting. Of course, no one ever mentions AI, right? No, it's a topic every single day. And um, I think it's really exciting. And is it going to be a part of our... Um existence as in you know yes there is you know as right now you feel there is this friction where there's the adopters and the laggards and so on and then there's those who say no no it's just contaminated the beautiful world of academia because now people can essentially have chat gpt write the first version of their manuscript and then go back and start editing it right yeah so, where do you stand on all that well I mean, I, I, I think there's still so much to learn about how this is going to impact society at a very high level. I think in medicine and healthcare, um, I kind of look at it into two giant buckets. The first bucket is automation, and the second bucket is augmentation. And so for my simple mind, and you don't need AI to cut things into two buckets for sure, mm -hmm. but there are so many 
opportunities in healthcare to automate tasks that clinicians are doing every single day that they don't need to do, like write notes or bill or um, do prior authorizations. There, there are tasks that we're going to be able to automate. And I think that's where we're going to see generative AI and foundation models really taking the lead in healthcare. Let's start to automate the things that clinicians can do today that we should be able to automate. And I'm really bullish on the next two years in going as far as saying, why does any physician need to participate in the re in the revenue cycle anymore, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we should be able to use these technologies to code, to drop the right level of bill, to, um, you know, reduce queries that come to physicians, you know, for, you know, you wrote UTI and altered mental status and you, you don't write sepsis. It doesn't count as sepsis. All of that stuff that is really not directly related to patient care. I think there's such a huge opportunity to automate. Yeah. Second bucket, augmentation. Well, that's a whole different thing. That's where AI plus the clinician gives you something that neither the clinician nor AI can do. And, you know, I, and a lot of people talk about this, and I think that's where it's really hard, right? Because you're making clinical decisions, you're integrating large amounts of data, and I think it's better to be careful and go a little slower on this and get it right than try to go too fast. And what about you know, you know, obviously the sky is the limit, but things like pre-authorization for you know, in insurance and and all of those things that slow us down. I think. Again, you know, uh, the time is not far where we, we could essentially incorporate all of this into uh, making life easier and less frustrating on uh, for our daily workflow for a clinician, right? Yeah, I think so. You know, I like imagine where, you know, you have a clinic visit and you have a conversation with the patient. There's ambient uh, voice that's listening to that conversation. It generates a draft note for you ahead of time. That then translates into all of the things that you talked about. Well, we can generate codes off of that for the bill. We know how long you spoke to the patient, so we can code a time-based billing for professional fee. And if there's an authorization that's needed, we should be able to capture all that from the note and generate the authorization letters. Now, those letters and all those authorizations are eventually going to go and be read by other bots on the <laughs> other side. So it's going to be a lot of bots talking to bots. But, you know, if we get it right, uh, I think a lot of that kind of administrative burden uh, can, can, can really go away. Great. Um, Michael, you know, everyone obviously looks at Stanford as that institution that, that has always been thought of as the mecca for all things data and analytics. So to you, can you in a few minutes sort of describe Stanford's vision? I know it probably is going to take a more, way more than a few minutes if you had to really do justice to it. But, you know, I've I've learned about things like the, the Amy Center, for example, and, mm -hmm. and other initiatives. Uh, what is Stanford's vision and where is Stanford going in the next five years or so with all of this? So, you know, I am very fortunate to be at, at Stanford. It's an amazing organization with a lot of history way before I got here mm -hmm. um, around AI. So just an example, I mentioned 
Pi, um, and they were founded actually in 2019. Mm -hmm. So that's way before, you know, ChatGPT and the the Amy Center, which is the Center for Artificial Intelligence and Medicine and Imaging, was founded uh, in uh, 2018. And um, the director Kurt Langlotz is a it's a great colleague and very active in not only this center but also collaborating with um, my organization, the IT organization, in really helping us think about, you know, artificial intelligence in healthcare. And they've done a lot of amazing work, especially on the radiology side. We've also uh, added to our leadership team at Stanford Healthcare, a chief data scientist, uh, uh, Nigam Shah, who's world renowned in AI, has been doing this for a long time. And he came on board even before uh, generative AI uh, was really becoming mainstream. So I'd like to think we're, you know, ahead of the game, um, but it's 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 not just about being ahead of the game, right? It's about doing it right in a responsible way. And actually, our our dean Lloyd Miner, uh, in collaboration with uh, Fei Fei Lin, launched uh, Raise Health, which is a whole initiative that we're doing here for responsible AI for safe and equitable health. So there's all of these, you know, wonderful complementary initiatives and centers here really dedicated to figuring out how to bring uh, artificial intelligence to healthcare in a responsible, safe, uh, and valuable uh, way. So yeah, it's really exciting. And I, I could go on and on, but you know, I, I don't think we differ much from all AMCs really in that we're trying to leverage all these new technologies in a way to help our patients. So inspire us, Michael. This is your, you know, if I had to tell you that people are all listening to you all over the world, they want a few lines of inspiration. <laughs> what would those uh, few lines of inspiration be? Wow, that's a big question. <laughs> um, you know, I, I mean, everything we do is about people. It's about relationships. It's about teams. It's about health. and those missions are, I think, just so incredibly important and meaningful, especially in this day and age. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm inspired, but let me flip your question around. I'm inspired by all of the professionals that work in health IT and in healthcare in general dedicating their their lives their careers in figuring out how we can do healthcare better cheaper more equitably um, and that that's what's really inspiring to me i mean we have a long way to go um, but there's true dedication in you know trying to make that that those goals happen and i i wouldn't have been as maybe positive that we could get there a few years ago. I, I think we were still caught in this digitization kind of frame of mind. But now I think there's this incredible potential and reality that we are going to get there and really transform the way we do things in, in healthcare. So so that's what it that's what's inspiring. I I just uh so I I flipped your question around a little bit, but and um, you've given and you've given a positive spin to saving money so which is great <laughs> so got it. otherwise it's unaffordable <laughs> i mean 
we have a workforce short. I mean, now you can get in all the negatives, of course, you know, workforce shortages, increasing costs, all of those things. Um, but it, it's, it's, I think there's going to, there's new tools now that can help solve some of the problems that will contribute to the overall greater good. Wonderful. Those are great thoughts. And, you know, I, uh, Thank you, Michael, for your time today. It was it was wonderful chatting with you. You know, I you know I I feel sometimes a bit with people like you, I could spend a whole day talking about all the different facets of of uh, informatics and AI and and so on and so forth. But I appreciate your time. Uh, this will certainly inspire our listeners. So thanks again, Michael, for for everything. Thanks, Ashish. It's my pleasure, and it's a real honor to be on your podcast um, that uh, is global and um, you should be really proud of that and bringing, you know, great ideas and, and, and really thoughtful discussion about healthcare across the globe. Really, really cool stuff. So uh, congrats on that, Ashish. Thanks, Michael. And with that, we come to the end of another edition of BrainX Talks. For all those who are interested, please come over to our LinkedIn page to be a part of the BrainX community. It costs nothing and adds so much more to what you learn and do with big data analytics. Also visit brainxai.org for more information and opportunities for collaboration. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, stay safe, everyone.